Hello, everybody. This is Felicia, and I'm going to start us off with a face palm. So we were going to get our kids passport pictures, and we found out that the little post office by our house does them, which is great because ordinarily we would have to go to a Costco or somewhere, which is not fun with four little kids. And right. so we go into the little post office and I'm all excited because there's no line. It's just us. I'm just walking and I'm, I start to get concerned because the first lady I talked to was like, yeah, we do them. Like she's kind of like, <laughs> do we? <laughs> And she's like, let let me get Lynn. He's good at him. I'm like, okay, don't you just take a picture. So she gets Lynn and he gets his camera and we go back in this little room and he's just like, okay, stand in front of this door. Like it's not a setup. Oh no. Oh no. Like, okay. So I take, we get all the kids pictures and then go out and he's like, okay, I need to print them. I'm like, perfect. He goes back. And he's like, um, I can't get my printer to work. I need to like contact someone like IT or something. And I'm like, oh gosh, I'm worried. Like <laughs> I this is not I think this is not good. And so he <laughs> I was like, okay, my husband will pick him up in about an hour. Is that enough time? He's like, Yeah. So Parker comes home, no passport pictures in hand. I'm like, what? Oh no. He's like Oh, it didn't work. I'm like, what do you mean it didn't work? <laughs> yeah, what? Like, it's just a simple picture print. And I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he didn't have a memory card because he, he got one of the pictures to print. So that means it wasn't his <laughs> printer. It was something else to do with the camera. Oh, no. Like, Great. Now we have to go to the Costco and do it because I don't trust them anymore. And I'm just like that kind of stuff when you're like, Kate, check that off. Like kind of like an annoying hard errand and then it doesn't work is so maddening. (laughs) Yes. Cause it's like you plan on it being done. You've already done all the work for it. And then it's still like not checked off. Like it's still there. That's the worst. So frustrating. Yeah. Um, I actually, let's talk offline because Costco actually doesn't do it anymore, but I can tell you where to get them. So let's, oh my I'll God. tell you where. How does that be so hard? Oh, I know. <laughs> but I will tell you where and it won't be very hard, but I'll tell you after. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. a pain in the butt. And it's hard because it's not super clear. Like, cause me and Cam had to get our passport photos taken, like probably what, I don't know, two years ago. And like, even just doing the research of like, okay, where can I get it? Who does it? Like that takes a lot of time because it's not like super common knowledge. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. We have, Caitlin's about to tell you about the technologies we have. This is too hard. (laughs) Yeah. We've landed a man on the moon. Can we do something a little bit more here? Oh my God. Oh, it's funny. That's really funny. Um, well, best of luck to you, and I am going to give you where you can go to actually get your pictures, but that sounds horrible. And especially with kids, it's like you've already gone through the hardest part, which is like getting them there, getting the pictures taken. Yeah, the fact that you have to do it again. I'm sorry. That's oh. that's not fun. Um, uh, face palm. Mine is also face palm, and um, it's also to traveling uh, stuff. So me and Cam went on a trip a couple weeks ago. It was way fun. Well, we went on just like a little couple's trip and it was great. And I, this is the first time I'd been on a plane. I don't know. I guess it had probably been like a year. And I don't know if people have traveled recently, but they have this thing where at least where we were going, they had this thing where when we were going to board, uh, they had, it was like a camera. So instead of almost scanning our, I don't think they scanned our boarding pass. Like instead of scanning our boarding pass, they almost had like a facial recognition thing that like it took a picture of your face as you were going through. And then I don't know, I'm assuming it matches it up to some database and to like make sure that you are actually the person signed up to go on the plane. And I didn't quite (laughs) technology. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, well, this is hilarious though, because as I was getting on the plane, I, (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. So as I'm getting on the plane, I go first and I'm, I like go to get my face scanned and she's like, Oh, look at the camera. But I look and whatever, like it, you know, whenever it takes the picture of my face, my eyes are closed. I have like a double chin in the picture, <laughs> like half closed. They're half closed, which is even worse than just like fully closed. <laughs> it is like truly a heinous picture of me. Like, and, I, and it takes it and it like freezes the picture. So it's like up on the screen for everybody behind me in line to see like this horrible picture of me. And it stays on. And she's like, okay, you're good to go. And in my mind, I'm like, that looks like if that is what you're running off of, like that doesn't really look like me. <laughs> makes me worried about the kind of security system that is like, who is this letting on the plane if this is like tracking my face? But I seriously, I probably was laughing, like crying laughing for like the next four minutes. Like I was, I was laughing all the way back to my seat, like down the aisle. I like couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard because the picture was so horrible. And Cam was also laughing because it was like, it doesn't look like you really at all. It's just like a really horrible, like, picture anyway and the fact that it stayed on there for a while for like everyone behind me because it wasn't just me who was laughing there was like people behind me who were laughing because it really was like a hilarious picture anyway so face palm to that that makes it better or worse that people behind you were laughing (laughs) yeah people are like either commiserating or like wow that was a really like a really unflattering picture oh my gosh anyway it was so funny and I think on the way back, they did it too. I don't think it was quite as an unflattering picture, but I'm, I think it like f- takes the picture at the worst opportune moment because it's like automatically doing it. It's not a person pressing the button. So it's like, right. it just like freezes on your face at whatever point it decides it's recognized you, which I don't know how it's recognizing me unless I always look like that. <laughs> Maybe that's how it's recognizing me. I don't know what's worse, but oh, um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, it was good. I know, face pump to that. Also, yeah. though, again, I feel like I always do this, but it was almost a high five because I was laughing so hard. It was so funny to laugh that hard about it's true. something so ridiculous. <laughs> I love that feeling. Speaking of that, our in our last episode, talking about stress cycles, like laughing like that totally clears that energy. So I know. I know. So high five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Good stuff to traveling. Yeah. Um and Terilyn, Terilyn is not with us today. She had some sick kids stuff, so we miss her and hopefully she's with us next time we record. But um we today we have a really awesome um like topic that we're gonna talk about and a book that we read. So we, we're gonna talk about the book Hold On to Your Kids by Gabor Mate and Gordon Newfield Newfeld. Um and I know that Terilyn and you, Felicia, had read this like a while ago. And obviously I just read it for like, you guys read it, you know, a couple of years ago. And I know you've refreshed for this, but this, it was a really good, good, good book. If anybody's read um, anything by Gabor Mate, he talks a lot about attachment, why it's so important, but this is interesting because I feel like he taught (laughs) a big chunk. Like the premise of the book is what peer orientation is and why it can be so damaging for our kids. So, um, He talks about how like peer orientation, what it is, it's the tendency of children and youth to look to their peers for direction. So um, they'll look to them for a sense of right and wrong, codes of conduct, and their very identity. And the reason why this is dangerous, because obviously, like we know that peers are important to our kids and to our youth. Um, But what peer orientation is, like why that is so dangerous is because it's like they, they then choose not to orient to us or use us, their trusted adults in their lives as their compass point, they're now using other kids. So it's kind of like, it really is like the blind leading the blind because you can't, you know, like Mm -hmm. you can't trust Mm -hmm. elementary school kids to be able to like teach your children the right things to do or what to do. And so what happens is if they lose that attachment or orientation to us as their compass point, naturally, like from attachment, they are going to attach to those that are around them. And that can create a huge issue for us as parents. Cause it's like, if they are no longer seeking out us for their identity and for what is right and wrong, that creates like a really big, I mean, it's going to be really tough to help our kids like be the kind of humans that we, we want them to be because they're using like each other as a compass point of mm-hmm. where to go. Yeah. And a couple notes as we dive into this is, 
as we're talking about this, remember this does not mean like if you go to work as a parent or if you, you know, like you have other people in your community that are helping you care for your kids. This is not like a, you need to be with your kids every second conversation. This is a, mm-hmm. a um, like attachment to secure adults conversation. And mm-hmm. when you are like with them, that you're um, present and not like pushing them away. It's not necessarily like an amount of time quota. And right. sometimes when I hear these conversations, I'm like, I just want to make sure that like it can sometimes like as a parent, you can be like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm with them. Like, or like, I can't be with them anymore. That's not like the, the conversation here. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, I just, I, I really love this book. I feel like it, um, like every time I refresh this, this topic, whether you know, like I'm reminded of it in some way. I always, um, it reignites my like desire to like connect with my kids. And also that like, it's okay if they're not, um, in every activity. It's okay if, if you're having a more like pared down life as a family or like, it's okay if, you're you're not setting up these play dates all the time for your kids because I think that's like the lifestyle that we've moved into as a society um, contradicts a lot of our ability to have this secure attachment because we're just not together as much. And right. I know that um, I've heard Gordon Newfield talk since COVID about this topic and he said that he's like COVID was a huge like petri dish for whether or not our kids were securely attached and a lot of kids really struggled because they were so attached to their peers and then all of a sudden they cannot see them anymore and so they dive into this cesspool of social media and have really bad like mental health results because of it and like really COVID gave our kids the chance to be home and like repair those attachments if if we were aware so anyways I just think like this talk around peer orientation is super important because it can look like independence and we're going to talk about that Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think as a society, it's, we value independence so much in our kids, you know, we value that. And, and also I think like part of the reason why, you know, they talk in the book, they talk about why peer peer orientation is such a pervasive thing right now, especially. And it's something that like we need to be aware of as parents is because I think in our society too, it feels like you're being a good parent if you are like, having your kids be involved in all the extracurricular things and like giving them these experiences. And, you know, and also like, I think to some extent, I I think when our kids are with their peers, they're also kind of off of our hands. So it's also Mm -hmm. like, Oh man, I can get things done. Like this actually makes it easier, which to be clear, your kids being with their friends in itself isn't a bad thing, but I think it's being aware as a parent that it's like when we are kind of, I think sometimes it can probably be really easy to be like, oh yeah, like this is just a lot easier. Like they're with their Mm -hmm. peers, they're doing these things, they're busy. That kind of frees up my time to be able to do these things. And when we almost unwittingly get our kids to like, they're with their peers so much that then they are orienting to them and, and they're attaching primarily to them. It then like, it takes us out of a job of like then it's really hard to be a parent to a kid is who is oriented to their peers. Cause what it, what he talks about is like for us as parents that like us having that secure attachment with our kids, that's so healthy for our kids because number one, when they're attached to us securely, they know that like, you know, when they have a bad day, when there's something wrong, like as a trusted adult, we are always going to be there for them. And even if like they act in a bad way, like we, that attachment is always there when they like, can trust that and know that 
it doesn't really matter. Like what's going to happen at school and with their peers, like their peers are going to be fickle because they're kids. Like there's going to be days where they're going to be not very nice. They're going to say things that aren't good. Or like our kids are going to experience those kinds of things with their peers, even like the nicest kids. It's just, that's yeah. what, that's what happens. Cause they're little, like they're also learning. But if they are attached to those same peers, like primarily attached to those same peers that are slighting them or say a hurtful thing, I mean, that's devastating for a kid. Whereas when they're securely attached to us first, it makes so it's like, I think of it as like a, again, like a compass in a storm or like a ship in the sea. It's like, it doesn't really matter what's happening around them because if they're securely attached to us, it's okay. Like they're, they're going to be able to ride those waves. Of course, it's going to be hard and we're going to help them through it. But like, um, they're going to be able to ride it. Whereas if they're attached to those peers who are doing those same things that are fickle or not very kind or whatever it is, that's going to be devastating. And it's going to create, and, and they will start to do things, you know, like really unhealthy things to maintain an attachment with someone who really they shouldn't be primarily attached to because they're not able to like be a trusted attachment. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think it's important to realize number one, why I think it unintentionally can happen if we're not careful as parents and like why it's so important for us to, again, it's okay for our kids to have friends and for them to be with them, but why it's so important for us to maintain that secure attachment because then the parenting life lessons that we want to teach our kids just come easily. They like will flow easily. All the things that we want to teach our kids, if it's coming out of that secure relationship and attachment, it's going to easily flow. Um, There was this one, there's a, a quote from the book that says, the power to parent flows not from coercion of force, but from an appropriately aligned relationship with the child. And I love that because it's like, sometimes I think it can be really tempting as a parent to be like, especially when they're so little, it can be easy to like, okay, you're not doing this. So like, I'm just going to make you do it. Um, And again, this isn't to say we can't have strong boundaries, but I also think there's like this, this thing where it's like, I think sometimes we think that's where our power comes from. It's like, well, I am, I am bigger. I am the trusted adult. I do know what's best. But really if, if we are focused on our relationship and an appropriately aligned relationship with our kid, that's where the power to parent comes from. It doesn't come from, Mm -hmm. okay, well, if you don't brush your teeth, then this, it like, it comes from, they want to do things. They want to do things because our relationship with them is so positive and good. And so I love that. Um, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but like ways that we can securely attach. I think like anytime there's misbehavior or anything, I love that they say like, first think about your connection with the kid. Like instead of thinking about that outward behavior, if we are focused on our secure attachment, it's kind of like so many other things will naturally fall into place when we're trying to correct behavior or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we're looking at, um, okay, what is, what are we giving our kids with this secure attachment? Like, what are we providing them? And this, I think, really clearly (laughs) demonstrates why peer orientation is troublesome. So in the book, um, the, like, description of what we give our kids is a sense of self. We teach them right from wrong. We help them distinguish fact from fantasy. We, we point out or direct them on like where, how to go or where to go or how to get there in their life. So, um, whether that's, you know, like navigating sticky situations with choosing between activities they're doing, or maybe that's, you know, someone's cheating in class, whatever. Okay. So imagine your kid's friends giving them their sense of self, teaching them right from wrong, distinguishing Back from fantasy. That one's hilarious with kids. It's like mm-hmm. when when we rely on peers to teach our kids those things, it just goes haywire. And you know, when there's a collection of kids who are peer oriented, um, that's when we really see like this, you know, like rampant bullying. And I think social media is a perfect example of that because mm-hmm. it's either they they're going to be the victim or they need to victimize people like that's what we start to see like show up in our kids and also just like this frenzied energy about 
being with and seeing their friends. And Mm -hmm. I think we see this example a lot where it's like the parents are, you know, we've reached this stage where we're starting to see these warning signs in our kids. And I think this, this is going to be like older kids, you know, maybe like, I don't know, probably like nine, 10 plus is where you start to see a lot of these signs, but it's like, you might start to see like the grumpy and uncooperative when they're younger. Um, but then like we start to see this frenzy of like, I have to be with my friends and these kids are shut down and they're not as like tender and vulnerable. Um, and this can, this one's like so, uh, delicate because it can come off as independent. So they're, they can also look like the kids that are just like, Oh, I don't care. I'm fine. Like, yeah, everything's good. Um, mm-hmm. but they're, they're re- they've really just lost that attachment to you. So they don't feel like they can be vulnerable. They, they are like, mm-hmm. okay, my needs are not going, my emotional needs aren't going to be met here. And so now they're attached to their peer but that peer can't meet that emotional need. So um, right. this this will feel really good for all of you who you're in the stage where your kid, you know, maybe they're out with friends or they're at an activity, they're at school and they act all great. And then they come home and they just let you have it all there. <laughs> they're you know like messy and loud and yelling and like crying or all these like big emotions coming out with you and this is just like a sign that they are they do have this healthy attachment to you emotional health is loud and messy and sometimes we confuse a shutdown with independence and Mm -hmm. so So just like putting that in your mind, like, okay, this is what I'm trying to create. I'm trying to create a a relationship where emotion, vulnerability is welcome. And that looks like toddlers who are intense and throw tantrums and don't just cooperate. But as, as teenagers, that looks like kids who will talk to you and tell you what's wrong. So this is just a little pump up. like keep going. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause one of the things he talks about, I think he, he says like, they need to know, and this isn't new for this book, but it's like, they need to know at all ages. Yeah. You're right. It's the same in toddlerhood as it is when they get older. But like, yeah, there are going to be times where you're going to hold a boundary or many boundaries and they, that might make them mad, angry, frustrated, sad, and, um, and that's okay. And, and actually it's so healthy. Like what he talks about, he, he calls it tears of futility. Like when it's like, we have tears of futility, we feel frustrated when we realize we can't change something that we really want to be changed. Like, and for, you know, toddlers that happens a lot where it's like, Oh, I really want this cake for breakfast. And it's like, well, we're not going to eat cake for breakfast. And that's that, like, they might cry and rail against it, but that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't make us a bad parent and it doesn't make our decision a bad decision. But we also, when we're okay with those tears of futility, that it's like, they're just coming to accept that it's like, oh man, like I can't do everything I want in life. And sometimes that's really frustrating. And when we are there just to be like that, um, I think it calls like, he calls it like an emotional rail. Like we're kind of like a railing of like, Mm -hmm. yep, you can like fight and be sad and so sad about this with me. And I am like, I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be loving and like in your presence and like that allows for them to get over it. Whereas if they, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. As they start to get older and if they are not showing you some of that vulnerability, sometimes I think it can look like, oh, like they just don't give me any trouble. Like mm-hmm. they're just, a, but sometimes, and again, I don't think it needs to be always, but I think it is something to recognize that it's like, it's actually a really healthy sign when our kids are expressing those really hard and difficult emotions. Cause it does mean that we're a safe place for them. And that's what we want. We want them to be able to do that because otherwise they're not going to, if they are peer oriented, he talks about this, that it's like, they also really can't show that side to their friends either. Their friends are not in a place where they can accept all those big emotions. And so the kids just learn to like shut them down, which that's not healthy for anybody. So, um, and it can lead to a lot of issues. Like you mentioned some like bullying. I mean, a kid who's shutting down their emotions is going to lead to a lot of issues. So Mm -hmm. 
Um, I love that, that it's like what you said, it's actually okay. It's okay for them to be showing their like kind of the worst sides of them because we are like, we are, we are the people that are showing them it's okay. Like I'm always going to be here, whether you are sad or happy or frustrated or disappointed, like I'm going to be there and it's okay. Yeah. I thought this was a, also as we, you know, start to talk about like, okay, so how do we, how do we make sure we don't fall into peer orientation if we have, how do we, I think everyone can do these things that we're going to share to, you know, like collect your kids back into your attachment anytime. Like, I think they're all, they're all good. Even if you're like, Oh, should like, these are just going to be reminders, but something that's worth noting that, um, Gabor and Gordon talk about is that it's really hard to create a secure attachment if you have um, attachment wounding, which we all have to an extent for different reasons. So, you know, I think it's worth thinking about how you can identify and heal your own attachment wounds. And that might be like a bigger work and it might be just, you know, a little recognition of it. But if, if you were raised, you know, with, it doesn't have to be in neglect. It can also be, you know, parents who just worked a ton, a ton, a ton. And, and when they were home, didn't seem to want to connect, or it could look like, you know, you, you had a parent that was always home, but they were a little more absent in their mental presence with you. And actually I was listening to an interview with um, Gordon Newfield and he was saying that's the most common type of um, attachment wound is that, you know, your parent was actually there, but it always seemed like their mind was on something else. And I think that's really interesting to think about in an age of phones and the ability to be constantly distracted as parents yeah. right now, I feel like is so easy. Like, and this is not to like oh, make yeah. feel bad. It's just like we have to heal in order to provide a secure attachment to our kids. So it's really cool because how we heal is through giving care and receiving care. So we have kids. So guess what? We have 50% of that equation right there. We have the opportunity to give care and attachment to someone constantly. <laughs> and then mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. The receiving of care. And this was actually a big breakthrough for me. Um, I, my upbringing, my upbringing was a little um, more, I would say that my, like, my primary caregiver, when I was with my mom, she was, um, for the most part, like pretty attentive, but there was a lot of not being with any securely, like adults that I could securely attach to. And especially as I started to be able to take care of myself. So we're talking junior high and on, I definitely looked like the independent kid who Mm-hmm. had it all figured out and was taking care of myself. But really in the background, I was extremely peer oriented and I would really latch on to my friends and their families. And my wounding showed up as I have an extreme inability to receive care. And that's something that I've been working on. But again, it looks like as an adult, Oh, she's got it all together. She doesn't need help. And mm-hmm. actually, through um, I talked about this on a previous episode, but I really recognized this recently when I did a like a Reiki healing session and how that showed up in like my blocked energy, which now we're getting like into the woo-woo realm. But just <laughs> awareness. The awareness of it was really cool for me that it's like like people can't take care of you if you don't let them. And so that's what mm-hmm. power is showing up for me. So as I just wanted to note that, because as we're looking at things we can do to help, like everything comes from our 
energy and intention. And we can do all the acts and we can do all these things we're about to say, but if like underneath you aren't feeling it authentically, then it probably will come across to your kids. So just to know, something to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that you said that because it's true. Like I think this being a parent is so much caregiving and stuff, but if we aren't also giving to ourselves and making and letting ourselves receive that care, you're right. Like it's kind of like the oxygen mask analogy. Mm-hmm. It's like, if we aren't taking care of ourselves, it's going to be really hard to give emotionally. Cause I mean, <clears throat> I definitely am in the category of like, I am with my kids the vast majority of the time. And so I think to choose to be very emotionally available when I am. To, and again, that's not to say you're on 24 seven. Like there's going to be times where right. like your kids are napping. You're going to like, they're going to be playing independently, but I think it's good to notice. I, I have to think about this a lot where it's like, okay, if I'm choosing to like be here with my kids right now, I'm going to be here with my kids right now because it is, it's very easy to like either zone out, like I can zone mm-hmm. out or, you know, like get distracted by my phone. I start to think of things that I need to do or whatever. And then I'm not actually with them, even though I am with them. So mm-hmm. um, I like that you said that it's like, it does come from us. And it, and part of that, like us being able to be present is that we do also then take the time when we need to, you know, so I yeah. like that you brought that up. Um, yeah. And so, okay. So some of these things that I really loved when they, in the book, he has a whole section about how, or they have, a, it's two authors. They have a whole section about how to collect our kids. And I, we like love that term collecting our kids. It's like, it reminds me of like a little mama hen, like bringing them in. Yeah. And I like to think about that where it's like, so some of the things, so I love it. They talk about when our kids are babies, there's these natural attachment instincts that we all have. I mean, and you could probably think of a few right off the bat, like when a little baby grasps your finger, like that's a, that's actually like an instinct that babies have, right? Is to like, if you put something in their palm, they're going to grasp it, but it does more than just physically attach you to them. It like evokes this instinctual attachment bond that is like within us deeply as humans Mm -hmm. to be able to care for each other. So like as babies, I think it's very easy to think about some of these attachment things. It's like, you know, you look at them with their eyes, you're kind of in their space, you're smiling, you're not, you're getting these like back and forth signals. And as our kids get older, sometimes those instinctual things that we naturally did with babies to attach don't always come quite as naturally if we're not paying attention. And so I love like some of the things that he talks about is like when we are he talks about being in their face in a, what did he say? In a friendly manner, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to put it. But basically like when we are smiling, nodding, like doing those things that we would do with a baby, but think about it now as your kids are getting older. So, you know, now my oldest is a four-year-old. I love this. He talks about like greeting them after a separation of any kind. So like even after sleep in the morning, that's a separation from them. And I've noticed this with um, my kids, like Instead of like sometimes, and I don't have kids in school yet where it's like, okay, we got to be off and doing things. But I love that he talked about, it's like when we take even five to 10 minutes at the beginning of the day, just to kind of like connect with them. So like we're doing whatever that ritual might look like. Like if it's either just like hugging your kids for a little, like they come up and you give them a hug and you hold them for a little bit and maybe you just snuggle them. Or maybe you do like take time to read a book with them in the morning or whatever that might look like. You know, obviously like meals together can also be this type of like ritual of connecting with them. But I love that, that it's like after sleep, any other type of separation, if we are taking the time to kind of like reconnect with them, both physically, like hugging, snuggling them and emotionally, that goes a long way. And I noticed that like with my oldest, every time he wakes up, like I give him a big hug and I just hold him. And like, I feel like he's so active during the day, but I love that he just like melts into me. And it's a really good, like, it does feel like it's like, oh, we're connecting again. He knows that like, I'm so excited and happy to see them. And it's like a really, that's like a really good way to quote unquote, collect our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they feel that like warmth, delight, interest um, in the book, they also talk about like that physical component is really key. Cause again, they might not always get like a physical, physical component in their attachment with peers, but like, we really want them to get it from us. And again, I think as they get older, they just get so busy and they're so active and doing other things. It can almost be like easy to also be like, oh my gosh, like when was the last time that we just snuggled or hugged like today? Mm -hmm. Whereas when they're babies, it's like you're holding them all the time. So I think like actually, uh, what's the word purposefully thinking of like, okay, how am I connecting or physically connecting with them, especially as they get older? Because they they still need that desperately. And I think if we're cognizant of that, it's going to go a long way with our kids. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, 
I love how we can build upon like a foundation that we created for them as babies and something that came so naturally as, as a baby, if you kind of keep that noted in your mind, like just because they're five, six, seven, eight, doesn't mean that like, I can't still like snuggle and hug them. And also <laughs> the one that I like, I just see like these like red flag, red flag around like this becoming really easy not to do as your kids get older. And what, every time I read it, I'm like, Ooh, I have to be sure of this as our lives get busier. And that is, um, when you're saying be in their space in a friendly manner. So it's not just to tell them what to do or not to do, or that we need to do something, but to Mm -hmm. be in their presence just for the delight of being in their presence. Is I think really hard (laughs) and also really important as we're moving into these older ages where they leave for school, they come home, and then it's homework, get ready for sports. What do we have the next day? It's not a relationship, it's a checklist. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so hard. Like, that's what like life really becomes as your kids get into these elementary school ages. And so that reminder of just, okay, when my, when my kid comes home, how can I just be with them for X amount of time without any suggestion of an action item or a to-do list? Um, that I think that can go a long way. And that's something that I always when I hear the reminder, I'm like, Ooh, I have to do that better. Especially if you're more of a type A person, um, it's really tricky. So that one, as your kids are moving into these older ages where, and you know what, I think a byproduct of that is kids who I see with my kids, when I put an emphasis on this, they know, um, this is kind of, I think, I think this is something we talk about in our episode about the book Hunter Gather Parent. Um, they know the things that they're supposed to do. We use way too many words to get our kids to do stuff. And as we are just more present and modeling, so it might look like your kids get home from school and instead of it's like, get your homework out and here's a pencil and let's get this done. It's you're just with them, you're present with them, maybe you're making them a snack. As I start to put this energy out, I see my kids start to do all these things that I would normally be directing them to do on their own because they already know and they don't need me to talk about it every single second. So there's like a really cool natural byproduct of this this um, presence that comes that could also be beneficial to you and not having to be the train engine of your family. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I like that you said that because I feel like, I don't know, I, I do feel like it's so, I mean, and my kids aren't even to that age yet, but it, it can be so. And again, I think part of being a parent is you are coaching, you are kind of teaching them how to do stuff. So I I think it can be easy to be like, okay, like, what do we, you know, what are we going to do with this? We're going to clean up this. But I love that it's like, also really pay attention because I think it can get so easy to get caught up in that part of parenting of like, these are the things that we need to do. And I'm going to teach you how to do these things, whatever. That it's like just being with them, just simply being with them goes such a long way. And I think about that. It's like if I was with somebody who who I loved and they were always kind of like telling me what to do, like always, like when I was with them, I was like, hey, did you do this? Have you have you thought about doing that? Like mm-hmm. maybe do it this way. That would be exhausting. Like I think about that in terms of a spousal relationship and talk about like that doesn't seem rewarding, which again, as a parent, it's going to be different as a spouse. Like we are part of what we're doing is we are coaching them. So I'm not saying like this just goes out the window, but I think being aware that it's like, I don't need to be telling them everything to do. I could also just be with them and let them know how delighted I am to be in their presence. So I love that you said that because I think it could be easy to, to like forget about just like be and, and purposefully think about like, I'm not going to tell them to do or not do anything during this time. This is just time that we can be together and be present. Um, with that too, I love one of the things they talk about is like being a guide and orienting our kids. So they talk a lot in the book about being a compass point for our children. Like they look to us 
for what to do and what to be. And as our kids get older, I think it can, again, be easy for us to be like, oh, like we don't always think to orient or guide them um, because we think like, oh, like they're old enough, either they'll figure it out or maybe we just don't think it through. Like when they're littler, we probably do it a little bit more. But what I loved is he said, no matter the age of our kids, they need this. Like they actually really need a guide and an orient to them. Like think about, he gives the analogy of going to like a new, a foreign city and like if somebody, and you didn't speak the language, you didn't know where you were going and a guide came to you and like, they spoke your language with you and they kind of told you like, Hey, go here for these. Like, if you need food, like we're going to go here. If you need the, if they kind of guided you on that first day, you would be a lot more likely to like, then when it came time to say goodbye to your guide, you'd be like, wait, wait, like, I kind of want to extend this because like, you're my mm-hmm. person who can help me in this foreign land. And he, he talks about that. Like in terms of parents, we want our kids to see us as their guide and their, like, we want them to feel that way. Cause it's like, we are navigating them through this foreign country mm-hmm. of life that it's like, we want them to think of us as their guide, not their friends. Cause that's not, that's not going to be helpful. Um, yeah. And that's again, going to be the blind leading the blind. So I loved it that it's like, we can being a guide and or, or an, an orienting them. Sorry. I'm having a hard time saying that word. <laughs> um, like I keep saying it and I'm like, gosh, it feels weird coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> but some examples can look like today we're going to this, this, and this, like, or what's special about tonight is we're going to do this or so-and-so is going to be taking care of you, or this is where I'm going to be. Like even just simple things of that. Cause like kids have no idea what's going on in their lives unless we kind of help orient them to that and think of how like, that can be, that can take away a lot of anxiety. It's like, oh yeah. Okay, cool. Like this is what, this is, this is how it's going to happen. This is what this is going to look like. And it again, attaches them to us and it helps them look to us and like feel that attachment of like, okay, mom, mom and dad, like I can trust them to help me. Like they're not just going to leave me high and dry. Like in this foreign land, they're going to help me to be successful in where I'm at. And I love, I just love that idea that it's like, we, when we choose to be that for them, and especially as they get older, and maybe it seems like they don't need it as much, remembering that it's like, don't wait. He says, don't wait for that, like lost look on their face. Like just Mm -hmm. be that guide and that orient for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've noticed that um, really being helpful, especially with my elementary kids where they are they're going to school and it's like to us it's just like you're just going to school it's not a big deal but remember it was once a big deal to us and right you know, there's all these little interactions that happen that if we can help guide them they I really do um oh it's Brene Brown I think has this analogy of like, if we're with them once on this, she she does it as like a park bench. Like if we came come and sit by them on this park bench of navigating recess, entering into a game, they want to play with friends, but they're not sure how to like break the ice navigating. What if you need to go to the bathroom in class? Like anytime they come back to that park bench in their life where something's hard, we're going to be there in their like subconscious, like mental energy field, whatever. I'm like, that is so cool that we can create one neural pathway of connection and that it will reiterate in their life later um, in situations that look similar. And that's what we're saying. Like, how can we um, create these little neural pathways of reorientation back to the family? So in those in that tough situation where they're, you know, they go out to the playground and all their friends are playing football and they're not, they're like nervous. Um, do they remember our tips that we gave them or do they look to the bully kid who just goes and steals the ball and runs away with it because he's not quite sure how to interact? Like, where are they mm-hmm. like, learning? Like being that guide is not necessarily meaning you're there in all the situations, but yeah, like, hey, tonight this babysitter is coming over and I'm going to be at this party with dad and we'll be back at this time. Like that, then when they're nervous in the middle of babysitting for whatever reason, they're like, Oh yeah, mom told me she's here. Like it orients them back to you. I think that's a really Mm -hmm. awesome tool. And you know, if, if you have older kids and you feel like you've, you know, they're kind of lost in this peer orientation world, like all these 
these like little smaller connection points might feel like, oh, but I just want to say you can't play with friends. You have to be here at this time. I'm taking away your phone. Like you, but it's just building blocks. We have to start small. And that can also look like creating structures and restrictions. And if you have younger kids or before your kids get to this point. So maybe that structures in your day that is that orient them back. So that might look like, you know, we always have this meal together or after school, we check in and have a snack and do homework. Or, you know, for me, one of the, you know, this might, this will probably change. Those of you with a lot of kids who are older, probably like laughing at me when I say this, but one of ours is when our sibling has a game, a activity, a game, a performance, a a show of whatever kind, we all go because it's, you know, my kids always want to, but it's their game. So I want to play with friends while they're doing that. And for me, it's like really important that we're showing support to that other sibling. So that's like one of our restrictions. Um, Maybe that looks like you're doing like a bedtime ritual or a morning ritual. All these little um, structures that are so easy to forego. And so sometimes it's way harder to hold the line on this kind of stuff, but it Mm -hmm. creates a structure of orientation back to the family that I, I really do think an argument in this book is in the end, it will be worth it for your relationships. Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, I love that, that it's like, I think about my kids right now, they're so young and they are with me most of the time that it's like, for me, I, when I read this part, I love that it was like, I can put these structures in place and it's going to be a lot easier for me now to like put these structures in place. Cause we're already, we're already with each other a lot, but like making those, yeah, like the meal times, the family games, family activities, any holidays, those are all things that, that bring them back to us that we can hold on to them with and that they want that they sense that sense of belonging. You know, we, we have a whole episode on like traditions and why, why they can bring so, so many feelings of belonging and why they help us kind of hold on to our kids. And mm-hmm. I think there's so much power in that. Like I think about that growing up, um, I have so many good memories with my family. And I think my parents were really good at like, we did do family vacations, but it was, it's not, like you can think of some of those big things like family vacations, holidays, and those all count as some of these rights of attachment, so to speak. But also it's those everyday things like meals. That's something every day that brings us back together. Like we're together and more than just filling our bellies with fuel, it's like, it's actually a huge part of attachment. And there's some really cool studies that they even talk about in the book where it's like, um, like some kids, when they go to school, they'll get like, they'll have like stomach aches and stuff during lunchtime. And they talk about how it's like, if, if we don't use meals as like a form of attachment, that can actually be really hard for a kid. And so if they don't feel that attachment during a mealtime, that can like create issues. Anyway, it was so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And that it's like, mm-hmm. even just simply like a bedtime ritual of like, oh yeah, we brush teeth. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but it is a ritual that it's like, oh, it's a connecting time every time. I know that after I get my PJs on and I brush my teeth, I read a book with mom or dad, or I just like talk with them and they tickle my back or, or whatever. Like it can look however, and it doesn't even have to be a long time of any of these things, but it's like this reconnecting every time that we do. And I think I love that, that it's like the, the structures that we put in place now that tie them back to us is going to help as, as they get older and as life gets busier. So I love that. I wanted to add one other thing, actually just, it's something that I remember just quickly going back to the, being a guide and orienting them. We talked about guiding them, you know, like in their day or in their space about what's going to happen. But also I love this. And I think it's so crucial that we can also guide them in their identity and their significance. So what that looks like is, for example, I noticed that you have a way of doing this, or you have a real gift in this, like showing them that we notice and we see these things about who they really are we're guiding them and then we're, we're orienting them to who they can become and who we see them as. Cause again, if you think about it, we're not gonna like, they're not going to be getting that from their friends. Like mm-hmm. if they're getting any guidance mm-hmm. from their friends about who they are, it's not going to be probably what we would be saying to them mm-hmm. or the best. Cause we're going to see them in their very best light. Even when they're acting, having a tantrum or anything, if we can choose to see them as their very best people that they can be like, 
their friends aren't going to see them like that. And so I love that it's like, we can be a guide to them both in like their day and their space. And I think that's important, but also if they look to us as a compass point of like, Oh, my mom, like maybe I didn't act how I wanted to. Like maybe I did this or that. Like my, I know my mom sees me as like this great person. And like, she, she tells me that and she sees that in me. And like, that's a compass point. Like I redirect myself to that. Even when during the day I maybe acted in a way that I didn't, I know that my mom sees the best in me. And I love, like when I read that, it like almost made me teary eyed because I feel like I did feel that from my parents. And I, I honestly feel like, I feel really grateful because I feel like my parents did a really good job of this. Like I can remember times growing up where <clears throat> they like, I, you know, they had set a boundary. Like I'm talking about in teenage years, like they had set a boundary about curfew or something. And I was not happy about it. Like I did not agree with the boundary that they were setting. But I remember I respected it. And I, I've thought about it since. Like, why did I, like, I think about any of those things. Like, why did I still do it? Like, I really could have chosen not to. Like, there was nothing mm-hmm. that my parents, like, my parents couldn't have forced me, right? Like, I still was able to choose. But I didn't do it. Or I kept, you know, I followed those boundaries really because I was connected to them. Like, I love them. And I also knew that they cared for me. And they wouldn't set a boundary if they didn't think that it was in my best interest. You know what I mean? Like, I knew right. that they wouldn't just set an arbitrary boundary just to like force me into compliance. You know, like I knew that they were number one, like setting a boundary because they knew that it was best for me. And even if I didn't agree, I also, it was like, really when I was a teenager, it really was based on my connection to them that it was like, I am going to do this because I'm connected to you. And again, that's not to say I was not like a perfect kid. I'm sure I did do things, but in all reality, like when it comes down to it, that again, like our power as a parent is going to come from this ability for us to be attached to them and for them to feel attached to us and to hold on to them, you know? Yeah. And when we have those, it's like that. It's like you have like street cred with your kid. It's like, yeah, totally. When we have that connection, there's not as much, you know, we always say it then becomes a relationship, not a job. And that changes the dynamic in our homes of a two-way street of self of respect and it's not like we're just constantly punishing reprimanding it is i see you i really see you and you can feel that i see you and you see me and we're attached and that creates a bond that moves through life more easily so mm-hmm. we loved this book we hope that as you look at maybe what connection wounds you have and um, find some healing in those and, you know, recommit to, it really is that quality of time with your kids that you find a little more ease in your relationships and a little bit more connection, which is, it's great for, for both you and your kid. Like that is just a, yummier feeling relationship in general. (laughs) And we hope you find some magic in your home.